Hello and welcome to LPO Offstage. I'm Yolanda Brown and this is the podcast where we explore the world of classical music and what goes on behind the scenes of the London Philharmonic Orchestra. Today we're going deep on Brahms's four symphonies. Now it's no exaggeration to say that these are works right at the beating heart of orchestral repertoire. So to accompany me on this musical exploration are two LPO members who know how it feels to be really inside this wonderful music. Clarinetist Tom Watmo and contrabassoonist Simon Estelle. Thanks so much for joining me back on LPO Offstage. Very welcome. Hello. Well, for any experienced orchestral player, Brahms must be your bread and butter. People know it really well. Is it still music that excites you, Tom? It depends. I mean, who's conducting it, where we are, that sort of thing but yeah. yeah I suppose it does yeah yeah some of them more than others but we'll get into that I suppose. yeah setting the scene for me there good and for you Simon uh yeah I mean whenever I see Brahms on the schedule I mean it does generally excite us I think as an orchestra and as, as a wind section in particular you know it's fabulous writing it's it's very enjoyable stuff to play. Nice I'm going to get into the the nitty-gritty I, I do ask that question a lot here on offstage like what does it feel like when that repertoire comes around again? But, you know, the conductor is a, a massive part of the jigsaw that changes it how, it, how it's approached. But cast your minds back to your first experience of a Brahms piece. Can you remember what it was? So, You know, when I was about 12, ah. every week I'd, I'd go to somebody's house in North Oxford, one of these kind of real bohemian-type people, and we'd gather together a string quartet and myself, and we'd play... Brahms Quintet, every single week for hours on end, extremely badly, no doubt. But that was my introduction to Brahms, really. And I got to know the Quintet really, really well, which is a masterpiece, by the way. And did you enjoy it at that age? Did you sort of sense the magic while you were playing it? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, There there was something, I mean, something so wonderful about making music for the first time and you're with other people. That was great. Fantastic. Great introduction. And for yourself, Simon, do you remember your first experience of Brahms' music? Uh, Well, I actually had to study the second piano concerto for my A-levels. So we really, really did delve pretty far down the the sort of (laughs) structure and the the composition. So that was really the first time that I sort of delved into heavyweight Brahms. Symphonically, I think it would probably be the first symphony early on in my professional career. And it's really interesting how you, you've spoken there about studying Brahms, really getting into the structure and, you know, the essence of the music and then playing it. What was sort of the the difference between learning the music as a student, really getting into structure and texture and playing it and experiencing it sort of in your body, if you like? Well, if I'm allowed to be Yes, please. <laughs> Completely truthful. Yes. St- studying it was hideous. Playing it was wonderful. Yes. <laughs> that's my, if that's the right answer for you. It I, is um, I prefer playing it to studying it. Let's put it that way. Yes, yeah. There is, a, there is a connection that you find with music. And obviously we have to study it. We have to understand structure in education. But there is that element of getting to know the music just through the vibrations of it, through feeling it, through hearing it, seeing how, you know, the lines are interweaving with other people you're playing with. It must be something extra that comes with that. Yeah, I mean, going back to what Tom said about, you know, which conductor you may have standing in front of you, whether he or she does something slightly different with, with it or dynamics, tempo, all those sort of things can actually change a piece and the feeling of a piece incredibly. 
One of the first times in the LPO that I played Brahms was with Kurt Mazur. And the dynamic range and the colours that he fought very, very firmly on, <laughs> it was an eye-opener for me. It was like learning on the job, you know, yes. sort of creeping in with no... In the last movement, for example, the contra starts with the, with the basses and they, we, we sort of introduced that last movement. And he, he wouldn't give up until it just came in from nothing. So I found solutions that made that possible. But, you know, that probably was a, a sort of pinnacle where I've since played it and it's not been that much of a challenge. And actually those sort of hairs on the back of your neck moments were terrifying, but actually incredibly wonderful to witness, even if it was completely terrifying. You're talking about the Brahms one, yeah. Into the into the last movement. That's the sort of thing that he would do so well with, with the dynamics. There's something really interesting with the big horn solo. It's the horn solo's forte, and everything else is pianissimo, and that's quite a divide of of, of um, dynamics, even for an accompaniment. And he is the kind of conductor would would absolutely know you are pianissimo against the forte, a big horn, and of course the flute solo that follows it as well. He's, he was exacting, it was, wasn't he? Yeah, he, he just wouldn't give up. Makes total sense. Happy it birthday. Really does. You know. Oh, no, it's good. Well, I'm glad that the hard work paid off. That's the main <laughs> thing. And do you remember the last Brahms symphony that you played, Tom? It was one, was it? It was one recently, wasn't it, on tour? On tour with Ed. Ed Gardner. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah. Uh, Ed does it well, very well. He paces the final kind of exhilarating bit at the end of the last moon really well. The, the build and the, and the accelerando, is, yes. you know, I think he does that so well. Ed was just coming into the fold a little bit then, wasn't he? He was just starting his time here with you and he was on, on the podcast saying how excited he was to be working with you all. So I'm glad that went well. What, what's coming up next? What's the next piece of Brahms you've got coming? We've got Brahms 4 with... Karina Kanalakis. That's yes, right. That's I wasn't right. testing, yes. I promise. I didn't <laughs> have, have I read my schedule? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. In February, you'll be playing mm-hmm. at Brussels and taking it on tour as well, which then now taps into what you were saying to me earlier. You're going to be in Athens, Munich and Vienna, which is just going to be fabulous. But with the touring, after doing all that work and finding the sound that you've got to play here at home, when you go on tour, how much of that learning can you implement while you're lugging luggage late nights touring on the tour bus and things like that well the touring it's quite an intense life really i don't i hope my wife's not listening to this because she thinks i'm just go straight to bed afterwards and so on but it is intense. Musically speaking, you know, it is all about that. We're going abroad. We're representing the LPO. And the LPO's got a, a name that we, we need to all keep in mind, keep the standards up. Yes. I think, I mean, a huge part of being on tour 
is the change of venues. Yeah. Because the music Rhine in, in Vienna will be so different because you're taking the same thing that you've rehearsed, but then things have to change because it's, you know, this may sound silly to some people, but you hear different things. I mean, I generally, you know, Brahms 1, Simon on Timps, and myself start with this sort of thumping heartbeat of, you know, bottom C. If he's then positioned in a completely different place, then that, you know, that's just a personal thing. That will change enormously. And then it can be completely the other way around. So a conductor will be sort of raising hands, you know, to give more, yes. try and try and give less and all that sort of stuff. Because it changes. changes. And, then you, and then you get on a train or bus or flight or whatever the next day and you go to the next hall and it's kind of start again, even though it's... Well rehearsed and we're ready for anything. Yes, it's never going to be the same. It's a lot of adjustments, mm. while also you know the strain of being on the road is is mm. remarkable. And are you looking forward to you know the venues that you're going to with this tour with Brahms Four? Always. Good. Good answer. All right, <laughs> I'm going to get into the writing now because we are trying to deep dive into Brahms and his writing. Mm. So, how do you find Simon that Brahms writes for bassoon? I am the contrabassoonist, of course, of course. in the LPO. And very interestingly, Brahms wrote for Contra in Symphony Number no. 1, mm-hmm. then seemingly sacked the Contra player and brought in a tuba oh, no. for Brahms 2, and then seemingly sacked the tuba player and went back to a Contra for Brahms 3 and Brahms 4. Ah, so you don't feature in 2? I don't feature in 2 unless I'm playing bassoon. And when you have been present in the hall to hear too, um, <laughs> can you understand why Browse made that choice and brought in the tuba? I'm going to be completely honest again. Please do. No. Interesting. I, I mean, I, I can. It's it does. Ha- two is a. I think is a different colour, and different sort of uh, structure, if you like. And, and I, th- I think it's slightly more sort of classical, isn't it? Mm. Oh. So maybe the contrabassoon is just a misery of an instrument or something. I don't know. It could be personnel, though, couldn't it? Could it? Easily you could have personnel. had a really lousy contrabassoon player. I thought, what the hell is that? That's the reason you got rid of it. And maybe the tuba would be better. And maybe that tuba player was even worse than the contra player. And that's yeah, the could be, I mean, could be. But if, I mean, it's interesting. Again, going back to, I'm, I'm not going to bore too many people, hopefully. But the, you know, the incredible chorale in the last movement of Brahms 1. Mm. Wonderful with this trombone trio and contrabassoon accompanying that yes. and not tuba. And there's, there's a colour about it that I think probably suits almost the contra better than the tuba possibly which is well having controversial i'm sure lee will be on the phone to me later (laughs) but no interesting that you sort of have made that that connection there because obviously he used the contrabassoon in one not in two but then you're back so maybe he realized that it wasn't as fine a choice after all you never know i mean it smacks of that doesn't it And Tom, how about for you? You know, writing brilliant clarinet sonatas, of course, but how do you feel that he 
rights for your instrument. Well, the thing about the clarinet sonatas is, is it's important to remember is that they, they come right at the end of his life. He met somebody called Richard Mulfelt. Some people might know about this name, who was a fantastic clarinet player. And this clarinet player inspired him. And there was something about his, his playing that he, he loved. So uh, did, he, did you think he underestimated the clarinet before that? I think he might have done a little bit. Because if, if you look at the sonatas, the, the opening entries of the clarinet... The way it's written, it's there are huge leaps within these these statements, these phrases, which you don't really see in in the symphonies. Everything is more sort of joined together. If you take the solo in the second movement of Brahms one, you know, it's all, it's all linear. It would be interesting to see if he'd met him a few years before how that would have affected the, the symphonies. Absolutely, because I was, I was sort of touching on earlier. I think who you had in the orchestra and who you were listening to affected what, what you, uh, how you wrote for, for yeah. them. I mean, Mozart's a very good example of that, of course. Yeah. yeah. And so in the symphonies, even though it's not as challenging and sort of uh, bespoke oh, to the clarinets. Oh, it's still challenging. still challenging. And not as many wide intervals, shall we say. What, what is your favourite solo um, throughout the symphonies? Well, and she's, uh, I, I'm second clarinet, but I, I have, do get the chance to play principal quite a lot because there are only three members of, in, in the orchestra. So I, I have played these solos quite a lot, but the, the uh, I keep talking about one, but the, the, the solo in, in number one, the slow movement, uh, that when it takes over the oboe, yes. is the most marvellous bit of writing. The oboe solo sort of meanders with this slow semi-quaver movement, and then the the, um, the first clarinet joins very quietly and hopefully imperceptibly mm-hmm. on one note on an E flat. It just joins, and it's like the oboe's left it hanging there, and it's sort of it's, and you emerge it from. And if it works well, it's so beautiful. You've described that wonderfully. I- <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And and how about for you, your favourite bassoon? Or contrabassoon, I should say, a highlight. Well, I don't really get many solos. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just there like to any. add weight. <laughs> I'm just add, <laughs> there to add weight at the bottom. But yeah. um, whether it's a, you know, I'm not going to say at this point whether it's my favourite. But playing one on the contra, it's a wonderful part. You know, it's quite taxing. It's it's on all the excerpt lists. You know, when you get auditions and oh, things come out, it's, it's one, yeah. one, of, one of the first things that goes on there probably. Because it's it's challenging, but it's you know it's it's just such a great bass part. It's, mm. it's fantastic. And you speak about excerpts there. I was going to ask about the audition process. What is it like playing the excerpts, and what are they? Um, well, excerpts are segments, if you like, taken out of the the whole picture. It's it's almost like taking a page out of a book or something. I always encourage students to learn the whole piece even if in an audition they are potentially going to play two or three lines because they need to know the, how all of it goes, not just one bit. Yeah, and take um, it in context, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and understand its position within the piece. And, you know, if you've got a sort of dark, moody first movement, for example, and then a chirpy, what it, you know, when I've, I've, there are people who have come in and, and had a lesson and they've managed to turn something 
sort of dark and sombre into something jolly. And I've sort of, right, OK, which recording was it you listened to for that? Because that's, you know, uh, and that's, that's the thing. You have to understand the colours, the picture, the, the scene, if you like, yeah. um, and, and understand You've got to hear it. everything else around you as yeah. you're playing it how, it, how it fits. And you can always tell those that don't, that don't hear, hear it. Well, no, I know a lot of students listen to this podcast to find those top tips. And I think this is this is a great one. Get that context for that excerpt and really bring the colour and the texture that it deserves. That's, that's really good. You're listening to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. And today I'm talking about Brahms's four symphonies with the clarinetist Tom Watmo and contrabassoonist Simon Estelle. Do subscribe to the podcast via your preferred method. You'll find it on all major platforms. Just search for LPO Offstage. And the LPO's current season is now available to book at lpo.org.uk. You made a comment there earlier, Tom, that you said, oh, we're always talking about number one, Symphony Number One. But I think it, it's right to. I mean, Symphony Number One took 20 years yeah. to complete. His second and third took a few months each. Let's speak about uh, the third symphony, especially the third movement. What is it about this sort of romantic and graceful melody that lends itself so well to those different types of music? I think there's a big thing in this, and that is you can't beat a good tune. It's a good tune. It's immensely singable. Yeah, I mean, it's if, if you're going to struggle to enjoy that, then there's you know there's a serious flaw in your system somewhere. Because <laughs> I mean, it's yeah, it's completely singable and just dreamy and calming. Yeah. And if you want uplifting, rip roaring stuff, there's you know there's other things to listen to. But that's that's you just can't beat a good tune. Mm. Are there any other parts of the four symphonies that you think oh, this melody is just great? Are there any other parts? I think four. I think I think the slow movement of four is, is absolutely divine, and I know it's very clarinetty, and but that's absolutely marvelous. This sort of organ-like quality to it, and if it's if it's played well with sort of you know immaculate intonation, hopefully, mm-hmm. and that real blend that you're looking for with Brahms, it's uh, it's you know there's, there's nothing finer, is there? That we've spoken about the beautiful elements that you play in these symphonies. What do you yeah. wish he had given you more of? I can answer that question slightly differently, I think. Mm. Well, in, uh, that's to say, when Brahms is played well, what are you looking for and what are the challenges of it? Yeah. It's funny because I'm doing his class and it's purely about articulation. And I've set the students a, a bunch of excerpts uh, a little while ago. Mm. And I realised it's very Brahms heavy. And this is for articulation. This is just for the beginning and the ends of notes. Also... If you can put legato in that category as well, 
Brahms asks all sorts of things. He asks for an absolute perfect legato. Not, not the expression is in its coolness, is in, in its like organ-like quality. But the beginning of notes and the end of notes, the way these start, they have to be. Everybody has to have it be thinking as a wind section, string sections too, no doubt, exactly the same way. Yes. But the way you sort of punctuate the the just the offbeat crotchets at the beginning of Brahms 4 say everybody together with the softest of starts and, and that's the way it works for me mm. sometimes I've been in a wind section and a, a, where somebody doesn't get that and there's this kind of bite to the sound yes. of some if some of these things that should be soft edged yes. and and it's those are the things I find very frustrating when people don't get that so that's why I set these uh, so yeah. much Brahms for the for the uh, academy Oh, no, that's a students. good point. And, and for the non-instrument playing listeners, legato being sort of making sure that everything flows smoothly and you don't mm-hmm. feel the difference between the notes. Yeah. I've got a couple more more questions. I could speak to you all day on this. This is really, really fantastic. Um, Edward Hanslick, uh, a music critic and friend of Brahms, said that his fourth symphony is like a dark well, and the longer that we look into it, the more brightly the stars shine back. What's your relationship like with the music? I think it's more my pressure to uh, the things that I've understood and how to play it to make it sound good that have changed hugely and as i talked about before the articulation but the blend and the balancing all these things that you you pick up over years of experience and so you know it's rather about the the craft to to orchestral playing what suits this composer what suits that one i mean we really care about what we do and we want it to sound at its best and so whatever needs to be done there's a lot of th- thought involved, honestly. Absolutely. We don't just like, go down you don't the just pub. Play it. Of course, go yeah. down the pub. Uh, and for you, Simon, what's your relationship been like? Yeah, I mean, uh, exactly what Tom's just said. I mean, the first time that I've, I, I would have ever played a Brahms symphony will be completely different to the way I see it now. Mm. Experience counts for a lot because you, you, you understand it better. It's just, you know, the, the best lesson you ever have is the first time you sort of do it. Mm. You can practice things till you're blue in the face. But until you actually sit in situ with an orchestra around you, there's nothing like that. You can't mm-hmm. beat that. So I've, I haven't asked you this question for the whole of the episode, but I'm going to now. And just to say, you can answer it because we put this question out on Instagram to all of our social media followers of at London Philharmonic Orchestra. The question was, which is your favourite of Brahms's symphonies? One, two, three or four? I'm going to twist your arm. I'll also ask you to guess what you think the listeners like mm. too. So, first of all, I'm going to go to Simon. What's your favourite symphony? Well, when, when we're in when, agreement about this, we're in really. agreement. Okay. When, when basically, when I was asked to do this, uh, you know, it's been on my mind quite a lot because I've, I swear that I've had three, one, two, four, th- uh, three, two. One, four. Mm-hmm. This is the order so, of the symphony, is um, Which I think is controversial because I, I suspect I know the answer to the public vote, but I'm going to go with two.
interesting. But you, both of those uh, orders had three at the start. So where did three go? Yeah, so three. I don't know. I, th- I mean, I, again, when I when I first said I'd, I'd be happy to do this, I then went away and thought, you know, thought long and hard about I'm it. I'm sorry about that. It's <laughs> impossible to put those four symphonies in any sort of order. Any sort of order. Well, it's good. I'm going to give you two. So two is is yours. How about yourself? Yeah, I, I think I'd have to agree with two because because yeah. there's not a lot of humour in Brahms, is it? in, uh, but uh, there's not a lot many jokes or anything. Yeah, I find it so serious. But two, the, the uh, scherzo movement. There's fun in that. There's there's jolly and uh, I think humorous. It's, it's, it's just a little bit more sort of fresh and sort of uplifting. The other yeah. ones are darker and... Well, maybe this says something about our uh, LPO audience. Uh, what, we, <laughs> what do you think they chose as their most favourite symphony? I, One, I, two, I three would or four. bet my best contra reader on oh. four. Ooh. I might go for one. Ooh. Well, go on. Simon, you can roll. keep your reads. <laughs> it is, in fact, four. Oh. I was looking forward to getting that. I mean, it's, 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 <laughs> it's probably the most played, isn't it? But what's really interesting is we had nearly 800 votes for this Crikey. poll on social. Wow. So thank you so much yeah. to everybody that voted. And it's split down into percentages. So 215 people, number four, that's 29% of the votes. The next was three... 25% of the voters said three, 24% of the voters said two, mm. and 23% said one. It's so interestingly gone, well, well matched. It's, yeah, it's really well something matched. Something for everyone. So, you know, it is something for everyone. But I think exactly that, that. that completely goes with what I said. It's impossible. <laughs> it is impossible. It is. I mean, I, I, again, one of the things that I was thinking about with this was, can I take one movement from each oh. yeah. and then create symphony create number five? <laughs> Yeah. That is homework for the next episode, I tell you. That would be real. <laughs> Have you done it? Have you done that exercise? Actually, it'd be interesting. That'd so be which movements? Come on, then. Yeah. Oh, blimey, I knew you'd do that. <laughs> number one of Symphony Number 2. Mm-hmm. Mm. Number two of Symphony Number 1. I like the first movement of Number 3. Now, yeah. yeah. Of three, that's... that's three. The slow movement of four. Oh, slow movement of four. You did say that. Yeah, mm. fair enough. Well, this is looking to be a really nice symphony. Maybe it's something we could make on a playlist to share with the listeners and see how that flows. But it has been so wonderful to have you both here on the LPR Stage podcast. Thank you so very much, Simon and Tom. A pleasure. Thank you. Well, that's it for now from LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. Thanks so much to Simon and Tom for joining me today to get stuck into Brahms' symphonies, which we really, really did. Well, if you'd like to send in any questions to be featured on this current series, please email offstage at lpo.org.uk. Whether you'd like some tips on taking the stress out of touring or you want to know what makes the ideal desk partner, or something about reads, maybe, we'd love to hear from you. That's offstage at lpo.org.uk or you can message us on social media at London Philharmonic Orchestra. 
See you next time. 